My name's Graham, and I have my wife, Irina, and we have two little kids. Now, when I was growing up, uh, and we went on a long car trip, we would play a game, right? We didn't have iPads at that time, so it would be iSpy, not iPad. Uh, but we also played a game uh, which was more like a question. And the question we would ask is, what would you do if you won a million rand? Now, at that stage, it was South African currency, rand. So it's kind of like saying, what would you do if you won a million dollars. Now, probably in today's term, we'd have to say, what would you do if you won $10 million? And we, we didn't come from a lot of money, uh, so we loved this game. We loved imagining uh, what we would do and how wonderful life would be if we had this kind of money available to us. We, we pictured all the things that we would do uh, all the things we would buy. And then, of course, we'd kind of tag on some of the stuff we'd give away to others. Uh, because just the kind of person we are, right? So we kidded ourselves. But Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest king that Israel had ever had. Now, he didn't have to imagine what it would be like to have $10 million. He could do it. And the question we have to ask is, if you were King Solomon, and you had his brains, and you had his money, and you had his power and his status, what would you do with it? Well, Solomon tells us exactly what he did with it. He says, I am going to make a study of everything in life. I'm going to go down every path, and at the end of it, I'm going to be able to tell you which path uh, you need to go down to make life worth living. Now, last week, Steve Early started us off in the series on Ecclesiastes. And if you haven't listened to that message, I really encourage you, go back and listen to it. But Steve said... Ecclesiastes bluntly and honestly asks us really hard questions. And the question that it really gets to is this, is life worth living? Is there point to my life? Is there meaning in my daily existence after my 60, 70, 80, 90 years that I have on this planet? Will it have made any difference at all? Now, as we go through life, all of us probably have things that we would love to do or maybe things that we'd love to buy. Uh, we kind of call them our bucket list, right? So I have things on my bucket list. I would really like to scuba dive with great white sharks with a cage, you know, like not just out in the open sea, right? But I don't, it's a weird thing. I'd love to do it. Um, yeah, but anyway, we, we do have these dreams. We have these things like, if I try something new, or maybe if I, if I buy this, then that deep sense that I have for satisfaction and meaning will be, will be satisfied. You see, Solomon said, no, I'm going to try them all. And he was in the best position to be able to do that. He was number one. He had started life at number one. He didn't have to really work for it. Uh, Israel was the largest and the most powerful it, it had ever been when he came to power. Uh, he inherited it from his father, David. And Israel was at peace with all its neighbors. There weren't any wars to fight. He had the loyalty of the whole nation behind him. The nation wasn't divided. It wasn't a civil war. And he had all this wealth that his father, David, had built up. So what an opportunity. What an opportunity. And Solomon says, I'm going to set off on this quest this search for meaning. And guys, the truth is, we're all kind of on that quest. We definitely don't have all the privileges Solomon had, but we're kind of on that quest, at least to some degree. 
And Solomon says, I'm going to climb every mountain in life. And when I get to the top, I'm going to be able to tell you what is the secret of life. What is the mountain that we all need to climb? And he starts off like this. He tells us in verse 13 in chapter 1, I applied my heart. Now, that word heart there is my life, my mind, my will, my emotions. Basically, I'm going to give everything to this to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So everything in this life, I'm going to pursue it. I am going to explore it all. And Solomon did just that. He literally climbed every mountain there was to climb. And he tells us right at the beginning of this passage his conclusion to it all. He doesn't leave us waiting, takes us through the journey. No, he says right at the beginning, this is it. So the rest of verse 13 and 14, he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything, everything that is done under the sun. And behold, here's his answer. He's going to give it to us now. He's done everything, and this is what he says. All is vanity. It is futile. It is meaningless. A striving after the wind. Guys, here's the answer to life. It is pointless. It is meaningless. I've tried it all, and it's futile. He uses this phrase. It's like chasing the wind. I don't know if you've ever done that, or you've seen kids trying to do that. Like, it's just nothing there. Uh, we have this little Jack Russell called Pepper, and every time I turn on the hose at home, Pepper goes nuts. She chases the water, right? And the whole family loves it. We all come out and we laugh at her as we kind of do little circles and she just goes around and around. But at least sometimes she might sort of try and catch the water. And she does get her mouth sort of wet and does become a little bit all muddy and sandy. But at least she does get something. But chasing the wind, it's just like you think you got something and you open your hands and there's nothing. And Solomon says this, he uses this phrase, he says, you can't make straight what is crooked, you can't count what isn't there. And it's if Solomon's coming with this conclusion, the world is so broken that it feels like nothing fits. Life is actually so hollow that it feels like nothing really fills it. He says it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. Now, how many of you still do jigsaw puzzles? Okay, there's three of us. <laughs> but they, they're hard. If you've ever tried to do a jigsaw puzzle, I find them very hard and frustrating to do. But you still kind of have the picture on the box to go with. And Solomon says, no, it's actually, it's actually like trying to do a jigsaw puzzle without the picture on the box. You open it up and you don't know really what you're trying to do and you, you pick these pieces and they, nothing seems to fit. Nothing seems to fit. And then you, you get frustrated and you, you kind of look and you find out on the box it says 500 pieces. So you tip the box out and you count all the pieces and you only get to 400. And you're like, oh, this is so, so frustrating. Right? It, it's, everything is crooked. You can't count what isn't there. And Solomon, if you look at it, he actually asks this question. He says, God, why did you give us life like this? He blames God. Now, was he right to do that? Why did God make life like this? Because the truth is, 
when you look at Solomon's journey, life is like this. God, why did you do that? Does life feel like a jigsaw puzzle to you? Where you just can't seem to work it out. The pieces just don't seem to be fitting. And there seem to be pieces missing that you just can't work out. Have you ever got to that point where you're just frustrated with life? Well, I feel, I feel for Solomon, because he did, right? He was, he was like the equivalent of the rich and famous today, the people that we look up to and admire. He had everything, right? Everything that we think is going to give us satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose. He had money. He had all the power. He had the top position. He had everything that you could ask for. And yet, he comes to this conclusion. He says, Ah, it's frustrating. It's pointless. And he comes up with this phrase. He says, so I hated life. I hated life. Almost everything that we would ever dream of pursuing, he had. And his conclusion is, I I hated life. Now, there's actually an answer to Solomon's question. But first, let's go on this journey with Solomon, right? He, He tells us he tried three mountains. He tried... The first mountain of wisdom, of education and learning. The second mountain he tried was that of pleasure. Any enjoyment, he was going to go after it. And the third one was the mountain of work or toil. Now, the truth is, all of us are climbing or trying to climb these mountains, right? We, maybe there's a combination of them. Uh, But each person, we can only go so far. We don't have the resources or the time or the power or the money to get to the very top. But Solomon got to the top of each mountain. And when he gets to the top, he's going to tell us, this is what I found at the top. So he starts out, he says, I I, I applied my heart, everything, to, to wisdom and knowledge. And he had this great brain. He was incredibly wise, and he intended to use it. So he observed people. He observed situations, and he saw insights, and he was, he was able to speak into them with such incredible wisdom. He was really good at this. He read books and books, and he grew in knowledge. He became wiser and wiser, but he says, actually, I, I became disillusioned by it all, right? Is, is this what wisdom and learning really brings you? I, Actually, it's just futile because it feels like the more, the more I know, the more I know, the more I know, it feels like the less I know. It feels like there's never even an end to this. Now, I can probably relate to it just a little bit. In, when I was in high school, I was an okay kind of student, right? I did all right in high school, and I thought I knew a lot. Any teacher who's a high school teacher knows what I'm talking about, right? These students think they know a lot. And then I graduated, and I went overseas for a year. I took a gap year. And suddenly I realized, actually, I don't know as much as I thought, right? I was with all these cultures that spoke different languages. They had a different way of looking at things. They knew different things. And I'm like, I I really don't know much at all. So I came back. I went to university. And I got a university degree. And I felt like I know even less than I did when I started this degree. And then I got a master's degree. And it was even worse, because I'm like, okay, now you so-called got this master's degree, and I feel like I know even less. Um, 
in our elders' meetings. We, we ask each other questions, right? We, we're learning about what it means to be a servant leader and constantly trying to encourage one another to be a servant leader. And some of the questions we ask sort of really go to the heart, right? What does leadership look like? Why do you lead? And one of the questions we had this last week was, it was this, it was a fill in the blank. It said, if people knew, fill in the blank, they wouldn't follow me. If they knew this about me, they wouldn't follow me. And I wrote, how little I know. Because the truth is, that's how I feel. I feel like I don't know a lot about leadership. I try and read more and more books, and, but it feels like the more I read, the more I learn, it feels like the less I know. I don't know a lot about theology, and the more I read, the more I try and learn, it feels like, oh my goodness, there's just so much more to be learned. And Solomon, the cleverest person who ever lived, says, I, I do this and it frustrates me because I answer these questions and yet all it does is just open up more questions for me. And he says, like, knowledge can, can be almost addictive. We want more and more degrees, more and more knowledge, read more and more books, but it doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring life. Maybe at the time it's, it's stimulating, it's, it's interesting, and, but then you get to your end of your life and you think, well, man, what do I do with all that knowledge? And Solomon sums it up like this. He said, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, you wonder why no university uses that as its slogan, you know? Increasing in knowledge increases sorrow. Now, there's probably some, some kids, I just want to say, like, if you're going to use this verse for your parents to say, I shouldn't go to university because uh, knowledge just increases sorrow, you can't, right? There's no get out of jail with that one. But Solomon gets to the top of this mountain, and he goes, it's not there, guys. It's not at the top. So he tries another one, and he turns to pleasure, and he says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Solomon thinks wisdom was not the answer. This quest for knowledge and learning is not the answer. You know what? Let me just live it up. Let me just let my hair down and live it up. Enjoy everything that I can. You know, this often happens to young people when they finish high school and they, they maybe go off to university or they maybe move to another town or, or go and do a trade. There can be this thinking, oh, I'm finally free from my parents and now I'm going to really enjoy life. I'm really going to live it up. Everything they told me not to do, I'm going to do it. And Solomon was exactly the same. He says, I'm not going to deny my eyes any pleasure that I see. So he tries entertainment. He goes after comedy. He goes to every comedy show that there is, and he enjoys the laughter for a while, and then he says, you know what? It just leaves me mad, mad. Solomon was kind of like the first person to binge watch Netflix. And he gets to the end of it, and he goes like, oh, that's, it's not even funny anymore. You know, a very interesting thing is if you study the life of comedians, people who make their living making other people laugh, they often struggle desperately. Because when laughter is all you have, it leaves you mad. And after a while, nothing becomes funny. Solomon tried wine. He lived in this wine region. He tasted the finest wines, the finest food. He then looked to women 
He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So if you think the answer's there, he tried it. And if you watch Hollywood and you look at our culture, they're saying the same thing. You know, just enjoy relationships. Explore. You know, use people. Well, how's that working out? How's that working out? When we look at that and we follow it to its logical clue, how's that working out? You know, we can talk about uh, the pandemic of a virus that is destructive and turns the world upside down and is damaging. Well, what about the pandemic of broken and fractured relationships, far more damaging and lost generations. You see, Solomon ended up having absolutely no respect for women. He had no real intimacy with anyone because he just viewed them as objects to be acquired for himself. And it left them empty. And he gets to the end of this and he goes, I've got to the top of another mountain and guys, guess what? There's nothing here either. And while he's there, he kind of does this, all right, I've tried these two mountains. I've tried wisdom and I've tried pleasure. And to be honest with you, I think wisdom probably is a little bit better than pleasure. And then he says, but you know what? They're both pointless. They're both pointless. Let's go up another mountain. So he goes up the mountain of work. And you know, Solomon didn't just follow the path of decadent things. He, he actually tried spending his money in very positive ways. So he, he built houses. He built gardens and parks. He planted fruit trees. He developed these amazing irrigation systems. And there's this Chinese proverb, right? Steve, last week, if you were here, he introduced us to an African proverb, which was about a... Donkey, everyone remembers that from last week. It's great, right? If, you, if I don't have a donkey, therefore I don't have a quarrel with a hyena. Uh, today, I'm going to introduce you to a Chinese one. So the Chinese one is this. If you want to be remembered, write a book, build a house, plant a tree, or have a son. Now, there's problems there. But anyway, Solomon must have read this one and think, I'm going to do all those things because this is the thing that's going to help me be remembered and help me be important. So he tries all of them. He does exactly that. He wrote books. He built a house. He planted a tree. He had sons. He created this massive estate, and it became one of the wonders of the world. News about it spread far and wide. The queen of Sheba heard about it. She traveled 100 kilometers to see these wonderful gardens and fruit trees that Solomon had built. And she gets there and she says, you know what? Wow, it's even more amazing than you told me. It is incredible. And Solomon listens to this and he goes, wow, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a blessing to the world. I'm, I'm putting up these amazing things. I'm making Israel look great. And then once she leaves, it's like, well, what have I really done? What have I really achieved? Nothing. Nothing. He goes, you know what? I, I'm going to give all this away. I don't get to hold on to any of this. All the stuff that I spent all my time building and investing and, and all my work that's gone into it, you know what? At the end, I just die and I have to give it away. And he says this, who knows whether the man who comes after me and gets it all will be wise or foolish. And you know what? This actually played out in Solomon's life because his son, who came after him, Rehoboam, lost it all. He lost so much of it. 
it often happens, right? First generation works hard. They build up stuff. Second generation comes along and loses it. And Solomon looks at it and he goes, it's pointless. It's pointless. You know, for us in work, there is this frustration that we feel. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but you think, well, I've got to work hard, and then I'm going to get this job. And when I get this job, that's when I'm going to really be satisfied. And maybe for the first few months, you feel like, ah, oh, this is going okay. I'm really enjoying it. And then you start to feel this frustration, and you're like, oh, it's not quite working. It doesn't quite fit. So you try something else. And maybe one day you get to the point where you get your dream job. And for the first six months, it seems wonderful. It seems amazing. This is it. And then, if we're honest, something just doesn't quite fit. You feel this frustration. And Solomon says it like this. He goes, Then I considered all the work of my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing, nothing to be gained under the sun. What a sobering conclusion. Right? Solomon says, I've explored these mountains, these things that we hold up as the answer to life. I went up wisdom and learning. I pursued pleasure to its end, and I've worked harder than anyone, built things, and I get to the end, and there's nothing there. It's empty. He goes, I thought there must be something there. Now, there's something in me that relates to Solomon's experience, and, and it was when I finished my master's degree. I, had, I started and it took me a very long time. I was doing it by distance learning and trying to work a full-time job, and I wanted to do well in it, and I really applied myself, tried hard. You, you get home from work, and you're tired, and you've got to spend hours studying, and it took me a long time. But finally, the day came where I handed in my last assignment, and a couple of months later, they sent me my degree. And it arrived in the post, and I opened it, and I was beaming like a Cheshire cat. You know? <laughs> look, at, look at that degree. For about 20 minutes. And about 20 minutes, I, that, that's it? Like all that work, all that effort, and yeah, that's, that's what it is, just a piece of paper. But you know, behind that, Solomon, in his absolute... Depression almost, he says, you know what? There is a God. There is a God, and he draws this conclusion. He says, well, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and enjoy his toil. And also, I saw it is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? He goes, look, guys, here's the bottom line. I, I tried wisdom, I tried pleasure, and I tried work, and the answer is, they're all futile. They're all pointless. But the best you can do, the absolute best you can do in this life is just try and enjoy them, right? Enjoy the journey. The truth is, the destination gets nowhere, but just enjoy the journey. It's kind of like one of these new fads at the moment, a cruise to nowhere. Have you heard about these things? Cruise to nowhere. You kind of get on a cruise ship, and you, you go around in a circle, and while you're on the cruise ship, you enjoy the food, you enjoy the party, but then you get back to exactly where you started. You get off exactly where you got on. And Solomon says, well, that's, that's really what it's like. A little bit pointless, but just try and enjoy it. You know, you kind of get the feeling if Solomon was an animal, he'd be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. 
Like he's just the most down character, right? He's just like, everything is so depressing. But the truth is, he is asking the right questions. He is asking the right questions. And we don't really want to ask those questions because we might not like the answer. We don't want the answer that there's no point, that it's futile. But you know, Solomon was looking at everything. Everything as only life under the sun. He was only looking at it as this is life. There is nothing above, right? This is all you've got. And if that's true, Solomon's kind of right. So this is his takeaway, right? This is the most positive advice he can give. He says, well, here it is, right? Don't, don't kill yourself trying to get too clever. You know, don't study too hard. Don't kill yourself chasing pleasure. Don't kill yourself trying to get rich. Just, just be content, right? Just enjoy what God has given you. Don't pursue too much. And it's not bad advice, but it doesn't make life worth living, does it? And it certainly doesn't answer the questions. You know, you, you can see this kind of played out. Sometimes when you go into the poorest of homes and you, you're in a, in a mud hut and they've got nothing, but you find that there's this, this joy and happiness in the home. And then you go into these incredibly wealthy homes where they have everything and there's this strife and bitterness. And you kind of get the feeling, well, it's because they're not killing themselves to get rich. They're not killing themselves to go after everything. You know, there's contentment there. It's kind of like the story of the Mexican fisherman. And uh, the story goes like this. Uh, an American investment banker went to Mexico on holiday, and he rocks up at this little Mexican fishing village, and he's on the pier one morning, and uh, one of the Mexican fishermen comes back with his small little boat, and he stops at the pier, and the the American notices that the boat has these beautiful uh, yellowfin tuna. And so he says to the fisherman, oh, that's beautiful fish that you have there. Well, well done. How long did it take you to catch them? And he said, oh, only, only a little while. And the American said, well, why, why didn't you fish for longer? You could have caught more. And he said, no, no, I've, I've got enough for my family and my needs. And then the American asked, well, well what do you do with the rest of your time? And he said, oh, well, uh, I sleep late. I fish a little, I play with my children, I take siestas with my wife, Maria, I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a good life. And the American, no way, listen, I can help you. I've got a Harvard MBA, and we can help you make something of your life. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to get you fishing more. And then you're going to catch more fish, and with the proceeds of that, you're going to buy yourself a bigger boat. And then with that bigger boat, you're going to catch even more fish, and then you're going to buy two boats. And pretty soon, you're going to have a whole fleet of boats. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to cut out selling to, to the middleman. We're going to go direct. In fact, we're going to have control of the distribution and the processing. But, you know, it's going to get busy, so you're probably going to have to leave your little village. You're going to have to move to, to Mexico City, and, you know, when things go really well there, then maybe we can get you up to New York City. And there you're going to manage this empire that's growing. And the fisherman listens, and he goes, oh, yeah, but uh, how long will all that take? And the American says, well, I think, I think we can do it in about 15 to 20 years. And then the Mexican says, but what then? 
And the American laughs. Oh, no, this is the best part. Right at that point, what we're going to do is we're going to announce your RPO, and we're going to sell your stock on the stock market, and it's going to become public, and you're going to be rich. You're going to make millions. And the Mexican says, millions. Then what? And the American said, oh, yes, the best part. After that, you retire. You can move to a small coastal fishing village where you can sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll into the village in the evening where you can sip wine and play the guitar with your amigos. You know, that story is used for this point that Solomon's making. Just seek contentment with what you have. It's taught around the world. But the truth is, it's only shallow advice because it's life under the sun. It's life confined to under the sun. You know, and if that is the whole answer, then, you know, Solomon is right. Life is futile. But let me take you to Romans 8. Right, so this is, uh, Steve took us there last week. Let's go back there. In Romans 8, it says this. And here's the answer that the New Testament gives. It says, for the creation was subject to fertility. Did I just say fertility? It wasn't fertility, it was futility. Okay, it was not subject to fertility. It was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope. He did it for a purpose. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the question is, why did God make life like this impossible jigsaw puzzle to put together? And the answer is, God made it impossible for a reason, for hope, that we can't find meaning in this life without Him. That's why he did it. He wants to say to us, he, he put us in a world where nothing fits until he fits. He put us in a world that seems hollow, that nothing fills it until he fills it. He put us in a world where it is crooked and nothing gets straight until he straightens it. You know, he, he did this for our benefit that we might seek him and have real life and real freedom. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I would say the explanation is we were made for another king. You know, that is why your life can feel like a jigsaw puzzle. That doesn't make sense until you find rest in God, until he gives you, no, here's the picture. Here are the pieces that you're missing. You know, there is something in us that isn't just content to go through life without the answers. We're not, we're not like my Jack Russell that runs out every morning and is just happy with a walk and food. No, we want to know. We want to know what is the meaning, what is the purpose of life. We want to know what is the picture on that box, and God has made us that way. Right? Every generation comes. Generations before us, generations after us, unless the Lord comes back. 
We tend to think we're going to find the answer, and they climb these mountains, and they tell us the answer is going to be found in education. No, the answer is going to be found in living life with absolute pleasure. No, the answer is going to be found in working hard, and they all come up empty because they are all looking at life under the sun. They're all looking at life. Is, is, this is all we've got. And actually what the psalmist tells us, he says, no, look up. Look above the sun. The psalmist tells us, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, if you go through this passage, there's one word that comes up again and again and again. Did you see that word? It's the word I. I. You see, the real reason we get to the top of the mountain and we find that nothing's there because you're trying to find it in yourself. You're trying to find what satisfies you. I will find meaning and pleasure, wisdom and work. I will. You know, the truth is, I is a dead end. You know, there is nothing morally wrong with, with trying to seek wisdom and get learning. There's, there's nothing morally wrong with enjoying pleasures of that are laid out before us, done in God's way. There's nothing wrong with work. They only become wrong when they are not first, that they are first place in our lives. They are the things that we've given our lives to. You see, when God has first place in your life, when He opens your eyes to see Him and His glory, actually everything else begins to fit beautifully. Everything else begins to fit beautifully. You see, a Christian is not someone who says, I'm going to deny myself pleasures. No, we're not, we're not people who go like, we're not interested in education. We're not people who go like, no, we're not interested in working hard. Where they do find their place is when we actually tell ourselves, you know what? They're given by the Lord. They're all fleeting. They're all temporal. They will all come to an end. And when we hold them in the proper perspective that they are, then we begin to enjoy them. We can enjoy them. We don't have to become a slave to them. God tells us, I've given you all things to freely enjoy. And you don't have to have this feeling like, this is all there is. This is all there is. I've got, to, I've got FOMA. I've got to squeeze in as much as I can until death comes. Because you know what? Death robs us of nothing. Death doesn't rob us of leaving stuff behind. No, death is actually gained for the Christian. We go, well, now I just walk into his presence and I get to enjoy things even more. You know, Jim Elliott, he was a missionary in Ecuador, and he, he died a short while after writing this in his diary. But he said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. None of us get to keep our lives. None of us is just going to go on living forever. We can't keep that. But when we, when we gain what we cannot lose in Christ, we don't lose anything. We don't lose anything. Solomon says, enjoy what God gives you. But Jesus says, enjoy God, find God, and then you can enjoy everything else. You know, in, in John 3, we have this story where Jesus is sitting out at night and a well-educated religious scholar comes to see him. And his name was Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus wanted to know the secret. And he goes, Jesus, you must have it. I've watched you, and, and you must have the answer. And he comes to Jesus, and he says 
What is the secret, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't tell him, well, look, Nicodemus, go back and study harder. He doesn't tell him, well, Nicodemus, just relax a little bit. Don't take life so seriously. Let your hair down and have some fun. Or he doesn't say, Nicodemus, really, you just got to work more hours in the day. He says this thing to him. He says, Nicodemus, actually, you got to go right back to the beginning. You got to become like a little child and you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, I didn't expect that. That's just weird, Jesus. What, what does that even mean? And Jesus does this, this thing, right? He actually encourages him to look at the wind. Look at the wind, right? They're sitting outside. It's dark and it's a little bit windy. Jesus says to him, do you see that? Do you see that? He says this, the wind, the wind. Now, that same word can mean spirit. The wind, the spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is. With everyone born of the Spirit, born of the wind. Solomon has been telling us, no, it is, it, is, it is fleeting. It is like trying to chase the wind. You catch nothing. And here Jesus says, no, when my Spirit, my wind blows on you, you can, by faith, reach out and grab hold of it. And when you do, it changes everything, Nicodemus. It changes everything. Suddenly, there is purpose. There is meaning. There is light. You know, Solomon will say, I was king in Jerusalem. It was my kingdom that I built. I built this. I built that. But Jesus says, when my spirit, my wind has caught hold of you, you've been born again. And you begin to see things differently. You begin to see you are now part of God's kingdom. You have, have something worth working for. It's not a kingdom of your own it's his kingdom, right? You don't have to worry about building and leaving stuff to other because you're now part of his kingdom, which will last forever, which is unshaken. You know, your place in that kingdom is now you are a citizen. You are a child. And in that kingdom, we get to use our gifts. We get to use our talents. We no longer have to sit asking the question, imagine I was King Solomon. What would I do with my life? We don't have to ask the questions, well, what happens if I had a million dollars? How would I spend it? No, because in him, he's answered all that. I have made you a child. I have called you my own. I've drawn you into my kingdom, and I've given you everything that you need. I always hope someone's going to shout hallelujah at this point, because that is good news. That is good news. We don't need to be caught up with worry and concern and without meaning, because in Jesus, in him, it's life above the sun. We have everything. Everything has meaning and purpose. Nothing is wasted in his kingdom. So maybe as we come to the end today, you're thinking, man, I, I've never heard this before. I've never heard of this guy called Jesus who tells us to actually come and see, come and grab hold of the wind of my spirit. But if you're honest and you look at your life and you ask those questions, you will go like, actually, I do feel frustration. I do feel that there isn't meaning and purpose sometimes. Jesus would just say to you, come and see. 
by faith. Repent of the fact that you've held onto your own kingdoms. Grab onto his kingdom. And by faith, he will just bring you into his kingdom and show you, show you that you're his child. And now you have meaning and purpose in everything. But it might also be that for some of us, as believers, we get wary and we get distracted and we actually try and put our meaning in something and, and all it leads to is frustration and he uses this word vexation, right? When last did you use the word vexation? I feel like it's a nice Bible word, right? Try it this week with your children. You vexate me. Um, but there's this frustration, this annoyance that you have with life. And maybe what the Lord's trying to say to you today is rest in him, come back to him, take your eyes off that thing that you're striving for and rest in him and he will give you meaning and purpose in every season, in everything that you do. Will you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is life in your spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have placed us in a world that points us to you, that points to our need for you. Lord, we, we want to be a people that sees things from your perspective, that has our eyes fixed on you, on your kingdom that doesn't hold on to this world and the things of this world because we know that in you we have so much more. We thank you that our life has meaning and purpose and value, that everything that you take us through has meaning and purpose, Lord. Father, I pray for us as we go out this, this week and we will face frustrations at work, we will face frustrations as we study Lord, I pray that you would use those moments to remind us that you are so much greater. You have called us to so many, so much more. Lord, we desperately need you this week. We pray that you'd be with us. In Jesus' name.